0: We live in an increasingly interconnected world. We have cell phones, email, Twitter, Facebook, and on and on and on. So much more, it seems like that technology just increases and multiplies almost exponentially. I mean, now you can go online and you can broadcast yourself live through Facebook Live or apps like Periscope. Periscope. I admit myself to being a little bit of a a Luddite where these things are concerned. I I know these things exist. That doesn't mean I use them all. Uh, I've never even used FaceTime on my iPhone, for example, and I I don't have a a Twitter account. But the point is, our world is is shrinking as we become increasingly socially, technologically connected. Yet, in spite of that, It also seems that as our technology connects us We become less and less connected personally And it could be that those two things are related. There's some research that suggests they are. For example, you've seen things like this My part-time job in Austin. I worked two blocks from a Starbucks And so I would walk down there basically every day and get a coffee. And incidentally, this has been a really hidden uh, salary increase for me here. Uh, All the money I'm saving by not going to start, I'm going to be able to buy an espresso machine top of the line by the end of the year for home use and have money left over with all the money uh, if I just took all my coffee money and put it that way. But at any rate, I can't tell you how often I would go in, stand in line to order something, and you see people who are so glued to their phones that they almost can't even look up to acknowledge the person who's serving them. Or I've been to restaurants. Abby and I have talked about this, and you look and you see a table next to you, and a whole family, kids, parents too, will have their phone or their tablet out on the table, and they'll be so glued to that that you wouldn't even know that they're eating together. Or we can think about uh, where we've seen people so busy taking pictures of their food, maybe to, to blog about it or to post about it later, or you see people at a concert or something like that. Some event where they're so busy taking pictures, they don't actually live the experience. I'm far from the most extroverted person that there is in the world, but even I can't help but feel that there's something amiss with that increasingly impersonal, and disconnected and, frankly, artificial culture. That's not what God intended. We look back at the very beginning of the Bible. Scripture tells us that God created the world and it was good. It was very good, in fact. There's only one thing that God said was not good. It's not good that man should be alone that's going to work itself out slightly differently for all of us, depending on how more or less social we are. But we were all made on some level with this desire to be connected, to belong, to have this sense of a relationship with other people and being accepted by others. And that has special relevance for those of us who are Christians. One of the most important concepts in the Christian life, and one that lies very close to the basic meaning of what it is to be the church, is the fellowship that we have in Christ. The word fellowship translates a Greek word, koinonia, and that just means joint participation, sharing, communion, uh, mutuality. It's an idea that emphasizes this group identity, this sense of belonging, of togetherness, of relationship that we have with one another. And we see the prominence of that idea not only from that word in the New Testament, but from other words that are formed with the Greek preposition that's translated with. You'll recognize some of these compound words. They're usually translated as things like fellow worker, fellow servant, fellow disciple. How often do we see words like that, especially in Paul's letters? Experiencing that fellowship is incredibly important. Life has a way of wearing us down, doesn't it? And when it does, we tend to become discouraged. And when we become discouraged, all of us sometimes, we've had a broken spirit. Life wears us down. What usually happens? We start complaining. We start feeling sorry for ourselves. We might turn bitter, we might isolate ourselves. Sometimes we even stop going to church in times like that. And that's tragic. Because in those moments when we tend to isolate ourselves, that's actually just when we need each other the most. And experiencing that fellowship, that mutuality, that joint sense of belonging, living together, and lifting up one another. That's absolutely part of the business of the church. Why do we need to encourage one another? In a lot of ways, I think we have a a fundamental disconnect with what Christianity is really all about. Christianity is essentially about relationships relationship with God and by extension our relationship with others you know during his earthly ministry Jesus called people to follow him to have a relationship with him to be part of his fellowship and when he did that he called them to himself we think about his invitation Matthew chapter 11 come to me all you who labor and are heavy-laden, and I will give you rest. That's not an impersonal call. That's not abstract. That's not intellectual. That's a call to have a relationship with Jesus. And the very same thing is true today. Jesus calls people to become His disciples, to follow Him, to come and take His yoke upon you. He calls them to have that relationship with him through what God has done in Christ. In essence, the call to become a Christian, the call of the gospel, the message of it, still has Jesus personally as its content. I think about what John says. This is 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, The life was made manifest, and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John says that the gospel is all about Jesus that which we've seen which we have heard which we've touched and it's because of that That we have fellowship with God the Father and with Christ That's the same way that Christ still calls people to himself and in that same way we have fellowship with God through Christ and by extension as he says that's the basis of our fellowship with others we proclaim that to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, John says. We have fellowship with each other. We have a relationship with each other because we all first have a relationship with God. We're all servants of the same risen Savior. We're all loyal to the same Lord. The unifying factor in our fellowship Is the love that christ demonstrated for us You remember john chapter 13 verse number 35 Jesus tells us there that love is the badge of our discipleship By this shall all men know that you're my disciples If you have love for one another And that love that we have for one another is supposed to reflect the love that Christ had for us. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. We're to love each other just as Christ loved us. How did Jesus love us? Without reservation. Fully, completely, self-emptying, self-denying. And he says that the only way that we can show the world that we're his followers is to have that same sort of love for one another. Jesus tells us, in fact, that the greatest commandment is to love God. Sounds a lot like what we see in 1 John 1. It's to love God. And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor, to love one another. See, Christianity isn't primarily about rules even though certainly there are some implications for our conduct. We have to conduct ourselves in particular ways. And Christianity isn't primarily about knowledge, even though we have to come to know Christ. At bottom, Christianity is fundamentally about lasting, loving relationships, primarily with God and then with each other. That's why we find passages like Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. William Wilberforce is a name that might be familiar to some of you. They made a a movie partially based on his life several years ago called Amazing Grace. Wilberforce was active in the British Parliament for many years, primarily trying to get the slave trade abolished, and he had met with no success. Many years earlier, Wilberforce had been influenced by the preaching of John Wesley. You might know John Wesley largely as the founder of Methodism. But I imagine that Wilberforce was extremely discouraged because he'd tried to get slavery abolished with no impact. In 1791, just a few days before his death, John Wesley, literally on his deathbed, took up his pen and he wrote one last time to Wilberforce. And he wrote this Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might. Wesley died just six days after writing those words. It was literally the last letter he ever wrote. But Wilberforce, with renewed dedication, continued on and finally, in 1807, the British Empire abolished the slave trade. What do you think would have happened if he hadn't received that encouragement? See, encouragement is imperative. It's important because so much is at stake The Hebrews writer in the text that was read a few moments ago our scripture reading says chapter 10 verse 25 That we're to not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some But encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day drawing near the day is the day of judgment Christ is coming back Eternity is at stake Encouragement is essential Okay, you may say, I I see the importance of encouragement, but so what? Or or how? how? How do we do that? How can I encourage other people effectively? Maybe you don't feel like a particularly encouraging person. Well, for one thing, as we read there, and as was read earlier, the Hebrews writer mentions, our meeting together is a form of encouragement. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now you've probably heard this verse your whole life used to tell you that you ought not to skip out on a church service, not to forsake the assembly. That's not what this passage is talking about, that you individual Christian are not to miss An assembly to forsake the assembly. That's not really the point. He's saying that you, church, Christians, as a group, don't stop meeting together. Don't stop getting together. Don't stop assembling together. Don't neglect your meetings, I believe, is what the translation uh, that was read a few moments ago said. And that's a point that's much deeper than just being here whenever the doors are open. It might include that, but it's a lot bigger than that. The very word, church, ekklesia, means assembly. You have probably heard this, too, that it means the called out. That's not right. That preaches really well. (laughs) And that's a biblical principle that we're to be different from the world. But church, ekklesia, doesn't mean the called out. It means assembly. In fact, it was a word that had been used for centuries already in the Greek world for the assemblies, the meetings of their city-states they'd been called out into the meeting. And so the point of this is, you cannot be the church if you don't assemble. The church, by its very nature, is an assembly, a meeting, getting together. If you're not assembling, you're not the church. It's what it means to be the church. So when people say that They can worship, for example, just as well in nature. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't need the church. I can go out to the lake. I commune with God really well there. Or I get all of my uh, religious influence from the TV or the radio or the Internet, whatever. It's missing the whole point. Church means to assemble, to get together. That includes Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But it's not just limited to that. We're talking about living a life together a common life in relationship with one another. And I think that points out how we even don't fully understand why it is that we're to assemble. See, there are some things that the church can't do well from a distance. You could have stayed home today. You could have turned on your television or your radio or you could have gotten on the internet and you know what? I I don't have an ego. You could have heard... Better sermons than you're going to hear today here. Delivered by better preachers than you're going to hear today. It's true. And you know what? As far as the worship service goes, you could have heard inspiring services at home. No offense, Kelly. But they could have heard better song services if they'd have stayed home than they have gotten here. And it doesn't matter who's up here doing it. If it was all about consumption, if it was all about being entertained, then you could have gotten it better just by staying home than by coming here. If that's all that church is for, you just might as well stay at home every week. But that's not what it's all about. God gave His people a purpose that goes far beyond preaching or far beyond music, as important as those things are. He called us to be a family. He called us to be a community. He called us to be a fellowship. And He called us to come to know and to love one another. Again and again and again, the New Testament uses that phrase, one another, love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, one another, one another, one another. That's what it's all about. And just watching television or listening to the radio or even reading the Bible for yourself is not going to do that. You can't fulfill that part of what it means to be the church. The only way we can effectively encourage one another in living the Christian life is by coming together as often as we can. Being together as the family of God. Not just for the sermon. And man, am I thankful you don't just come here for the sermon. (laughs) And not just for the singing, but for the togetherness. Living together in relationship with one another and with God. We need each other. That's what the New Testament makes clear over and over. And when we fail to be here, the real tragedy isn't that we forsake the assembly as if it's just a box that we need to check off every week. Well, I went to church, didn't forsake the assembly. Uh -uh. The tragedy when we're not here is, if you look at the people who are to your right and left right now, you're effectively saying to them, I don't care about you. I don't care enough about you to be here and encourage you. And you know what? It's saying to yourself that I don't need this. I don't need the encouragement, the strength, the edification that comes from being with other Christians. Our assemblies, whether we're talking about the assembly proper here on Sunday or whether we talk about just meeting together as Christians, are vitally important for our encouragement. But secondly, we need to consider how we can express encouragement. You notice there in verse number 24, The writer says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. It takes thought. It takes consideration. The way you encourage one person might not be the way you encourage another person. And the way I encourage might not be the way that you encourage. We all know this fundamentally, that we're just wired in different ways. The word translated in courage here is an interesting one. It, It actually means something usually more like to incite or to irritate. That's why you see, for example, in the King James Version, provoking one another to love and good works. It's a, it's a poke. It's a, it's a prod here. That's the idea. Reminds me of a story I read about a company, a small business that had decided to take on a new health insurance plan. This was in the days before Obamacare. And that required 100% employee and employer participation. Everybody from management on down had to agree to sign up for the plan. And everybody in the company had except for one fellow, Sam. And they tried to convince him to do it and he just wouldn't do it. Finally, the president called him into his office and he said, Sam, this health plan's really good and we need to sign up for it. Now, I want you to do that and if you don't, I'm sorry, but since everyone has to participate, I'm going to have to let you go. Well, Sam took the application there and he signed his name right up. And the owner asked him, "Sam, if you don't mind me asking, why didn't you sign up before?" And he said, "Well, sir, uh, nobody explained it to me quite so clearly before now." That's basically the idea of the word "encourage" here—to proke, or to poke and to prod along in a positive way. We're to incite one another to love, and to good works. Now, with some people, encouragement just seems to happen naturally. And you may be one of those people out there today that just has that naturally enthusiastic and infectiously enthusiastic personality. You rub off on others, you encourage them. And if you do that just as part of your nature, well, praise God. That's a wonderful thing. Paul actually says in Romans 12, verse 8, that that's a gift from God. So I want to encourage you to use that gift. That's a vital ministry that we all need. But for most of us, I'll include myself in this group, encouragement doesn't happen unless we plan to do it. So we might think of some ways that we could do it, just some suggestions here, these aren't exhaustive. But for example, if you're like me, we just moved and they're already catching up with us. Your mail consists of nothing but junk mail and bills and all sorts of strange ads and offers. And so if I happen to get a handwritten note, man, that sticks out. That's the very first thing that I open up and read is that handwritten note. One of the most effective ways to encourage someone is to maybe just send them a note personally. Let them know you're thinking of it. Or if you're like me, you probably don't like talking on the phone too much. Maybe some of you do. I'm not one of those people that likes to have long conversations on the phone you know what if even if you weren't you just picked up the phone and called somebody and said you know I don't have much time but I just wanted to let you know I'm thinking about you today and and I'm praying for you or maybe you could be an encourager just by listening to others that's maybe a little more my speed by trying to understand another person sometimes we're so busy trying to figure out what it is we're going to say next that we don't actually bother to hear what people are saying to us Understanding is oftentimes better than giving any sort of advice. See, the point is, we could go on and on listing these, but there are countless ways that we can encourage others, and there's always something that we can be doing. We need to consider it, what we're good at, and what we can offer to others. Put some thought into it. That's the second principle of effective encouragement. So we said our assemblies are a form of encouragement. We need to consider how we encourage others, and... Third and final principle I want us to note for effective encouragement. Commit to doing it daily. The Hebrews writer says in chapter 3, verse number 13, exhort one another daily as long as it's called the day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encouragement should be a daily action. It's one of those things that defines us as Christians. And we could think of any number of biblical examples here, but maybe the best one is Barnabas. You remember Barnabas from the book of Acts? A fellow who was so defined by encouragement that, you remember what his name means? Son of encouragement. That's what Barnabas means. And you could just work your way through Acts. Through his generosity, he encouraged other Christians to give likewise. That's Acts chapter 4. In the case of Saul of Tarsus, you know, everybody was pretty afraid of Saul. Because he had a bad reputation and so they didn't believe his conversion initially It was Barnabas who went down to Jerusalem and encouraged the church to accept him Acts chapter 9 He went up to Antioch Acts chapter 11 and he encouraged the disciples there to remain firm and to hold to the Lord Then he went down to Tarsus and he got Saul and he brought him up to work in Antioch And then ultimately he and Paul as he was known then had a little bit of a falling out because Barnabas saw the potential in his cousin a young man named Mark and wanted to take him on the road with him To encourage him in spite of his past mistakes You see all that from just one man's encouragement and what a difference did it make without Barnabas's Encouragement, we have a very different mission to the Gentiles. We still have an Apostle Paul, but his life takes a very different shape Maybe we don't even have a gospel of Mark if it hadn't been for the encouragement of Barnabas. See what a difference just one person can make. We need to make encouragement a part of our daily lives as Christians, to encourage one another daily, as the Hebrews writer said. You know, when you came here this morning, you probably weren't thinking too much about other people's needs. And I don't mean that as an indictment. That's true for... All of us, thinking about ourselves above all else. Those hidden opportunities for encouragement are only going to surface if we actually look for them, if we're thinking about them. But your encouraging words and actions might change someone else's life. You might even just find that they change your life too. course, there's no greater encouragement I can give you this morning than to tell you that if you're not already a Christian, to become one. Spiritual life and death hang in the balance. That day of judgment is approaching. But Jesus offers you His invitation to come and to take His yoke. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Put your trust in Him. Turn to God in repentance. Be buried with the Lord in baptism. Have your sins washed away. I'd I'd encourage you to do that today. If you're here this morning and you already are a Christian, maybe your life hasn't been lived in the way that you know you should be living it. And so I'd encourage you this morning to make the changes that you know you need to make. If we can help you in any way, The lesson's yours. It's the Lord's invitation while we stand and while we sing.